0: Well, y'all, you get into your routines, don't you? Um, uh, y'all probably have a routine when you come on Sunday morning. And uh, so I usually get here early, and I tweak on my sermon on, all the way up till Saturday night. And then I come in, and one of my things I do every Sunday morning is I go print it out and put it in my little notebook, punch the holes in I have this routine I do, in it, and I have it. Y'all see me walking up here with my white notebook, but, but guess what? So you know how when technology doesn't technology. knowledge... So this morning, I, I opened up my MacBook, and I had all these stripes on it in different colors, and I was like, never seen that before, and uh, so I got no sermon, so uh, y'all have a good day. i just kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> um, I'm just going to have to go on what the Lord uh, helps, helps me remember this morning, okay? So that's okay. Um, so last week, if you were here, we had football Sunday, and I hope y'all enjoyed that if you were here. That was a, a really powerful, yes, yeah, all right, to clap about that. Um some tremendous, uh, some tremendous testimonies by NFL players and their wives and just great stories from different looking at life and coming from life from a lot of different angles, and I was really encouraged by that. And a lot of you emailed me and asked for that video to share with other people, and I think that's awesome because I got it out there and it's out there, other people can see that. Um, but that's, that's really important um, uh, to hear those stories and recognize that God is working in people always, in different ways, in different times in their life. And it's always a process, but it's so important. So uh, if you haven't been with us the uh, last few weeks before Football Sunday, we've been looking at the letter that Paul wrote to a church uh, in Colossae called the Book of Colossians, but it's really a letter and Paul was in prison at the time. He's writing to a group of people that he's never really actually met. He didn't start this church, this gathering of Jesus followers in Colossae, but he discipled some other people in churches and gatherings that he did have an uh, impact on, and those people went out and they're starting churches. And so he hears about this church that's in Colossae, and he hears about some of the issues they're having, and he wants to write him a letter. He's in prison, but he says, you know, I'm not going to be happy just sitting in prison and saying, God, why is this happening to me. He says I'm going to do something for God's kingdom even while I'm in prison. So he says I'm going to write letters and try to encourage those churches that are out there. So he knows from one uh, somebody that he's probably disciple, a guy named Epaphras, who says, Hey, here's what's going on in our church. There's a lot of different things that are coming into our church. A lot of different philosophies and thoughts about things and you know these people have decided to become Christ followers but because they're on a trade route I probably told you where you got ships and people coming in from all different countries and different philosophies, different religions, Um, a lot of stuff starts coming in there and people start saying, yeah, I've heard about that Jesus and yeah, he was a good teacher. He was a good whatever, but you also need to do this and you really need to be close to God. You need to do this. So they started throwing all these other things in there and people are getting a little confused and going, well, I thought Jesus was enough, but I'm hearing people say there's other things I need to do in addition to that. And Paul is saying, "Uh uh-uh. It's in Christ alone. He gives you your salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. And So that's why we hear so many times in this letter, he says, in Christ, in Christ, because of Christ, you are who you are. And he makes sure that we understand where our identity is. And the last time we met, we talked about this particular verse. I'm just going to read it, and then we'll go to our passage for today. But he says, um, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. And that's the point Paul is trying to get across, and saying, Hey, it's on Christ. There's going to be all these different things, and you can hear them, and you can talk to people about them, but you need to remember that those things don't add anything to what Christ has done. He has saved you and gives you your, your identity and he gives you your purpose in life. So he's reminding them of this. So before we look at our patch, I want to tell you a story. So a uh, guy named uh, John Ortberg is uh, a pastor out in California, I believe, and has written a lot of books. Some of y'all may have read them. Neat guy. But he tells about a story about 10 years ago where he went out to California to Azusa Pacific University where one of his kids was graduating. Um, and as part of the graduation ceremony a few days before, they went out early because his wife was actually speaking and giving the commencement address, I believe. Um, so they got invited to this 50th anniversary of some alumni who were in the 50th uh, anniversary class. And they were celebrating 50 years since they graduated from that college. Pretty, pretty impressive thing. And so they got invited to this, and uh, the president got up to speak to them and says, hey, you know, we appreciate your support so much for this school. It's been 50 years since you graduated, but an amazing thing, this school is still going strong because of people like you and your support. But I want to bring out three of our graduates from this year and let you know what they're doing. So he brought out these three young people that are graduating, and he said, these three have committed for the next two years to go to India and work with the poorest of the poor in India and bring the message of Christ and hope to them through what they're going to do there. And so everybody applauded and said, oh, that's an amazing thing. But he says, these three don't understand something else that's getting ready to happen to them. He said, someone heard about what you're doing, and they were so moved by you committing your life for two years to the poorest of the poor in India that... You right there, and he named the, the student's name. He says, I know that you owe $105,000 on your school bill, but that's been paid. And I know you, and name the other student's name. I know you owe $70,000 on your school bill, and that's been paid. And I know you, the last student, you owe $130,000 on your school bill, and it's been paid. You know what I mean? And these students are breaking down right in front of everybody crying. He says, everybody in the room is crying. Just can't believe that somebody would forgive that kind of debt. I mean, did y'all kind of add all that up, how much that was? That's a lot of money. But they were being forgiven of that, not because they knew, I'm going to go to India, so I'll get my debt paid off. They were just going because of the love of Christ was in them. They felt called, because when Jesus, one of the last things he said to us, is he said what? Go. As you go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey Everything I have commanded you. That was the great commission. These students were simply following that, but now they have their student. Can you imagine how freeing that was? Now, what you probably wouldn't think was really, what you would think was really crazy, if one of those students goes, hey, thanks a lot for that offer, but I don't want that I want to try to earn it myself. I want to earn my own education so that I can say I earned my own education all by myself. So, so no thank you. Give that to somebody else. Can you imagine hearing that and going, what, what is wrong with you? And then maybe later in life, this person, let's say they get married and they have a spouse and they have some kids and they have a lot of uh, a debt on their hands and a lot of it's this, this, this uh, student loan, which some of y'all know about. And then you tell your spouse, well, you know, I had that forgiven the day I graduated, but I turned it down. Could you imagine what your spouse would say to you? You did what? I'm driving this old beater. We're we're in this old crummy house. We can't afford anything because you wouldn't let someone pay off your student loan. How could you not let that free you from all of this? Now, obviously that didn't happen, but we would think that was crazy. But what I want you to hear today and what Paul is saying to some of these people is sometimes people come in to our lives, and they say things to us like, Jesus isn't enough. You're not good enough. I know Jesus forgave your sins, but he didn't know about your sin. He didn't know how what you've done. And you've got to do all these other things. You've, you've got to earn your way to get that forgiveness. You've got to do all these things in order to, to, to get that, to deserve that. And you say, that's crazy. I believe in the grace of God. I know I'm forgiven, but y'all, y'all know that we struggle with that, don't we? Some of us here today think that we're not good enough, that we don't deserve forgiveness. And here's the deal. I may not know about your sin. You may not know about my sin. I may can hide it from my wife. I may can hide it from my kids. I may can hide it from all y'all, from my coworkers, and all that stuff. But guess what God knows about my sin? And he knows that it separates me from him. And that's why he came to, to, to not allow that separation anymore and to bring us freedom. And we need to hear the good news of the gospel. And that's what Paul is trying to get these people to say. Don't let somebody take you captive by hollow philosophies, trying to add something to what Jesus did. What he has done has freed you. Now live like it. But here's the sad thing, y'all. Some people will go to their grave trying to somehow earn their way to heaven. And the day that... We just sang a song that talks about, I'm not worried about that. 10,000 years later, I'm still going to be praising God for what He has done for me because I know the day I die that I will be in heaven in Him, not because of anything I've done, but because He saved me in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But some people are going to die not knowing that they have been freed all along. That's a harsh way to live, isn't it? So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I know probably in your bulletin it says we're going to go through a few more verses than we're really going to go through. But I'm going to try to at least go through um, 15 this morning. So we're going to start in verse 11. Now just be ready. You might have brought a friend today and you go, Seriously? First time I bring a friend to church and that's what you're going to be the topic, circumcision. Are you kidding me? How awkward can that be? But just hang with us. This is important. Listen to what he says, okay? He says, In him... He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Paul's making it clear here. Listen to me. You have been freed. You're no longer under that, that you're no longer condemned. But listen how he starts off. Now, I know it's kind of awkward. You say, really, circumcision? That's just such a weird thing. I mean, guys are like, ugh, I don't even want to think about that. But let's talk about what he's... Let's try to grasp what he's talking about here. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Now, this was an old covenant thing from the Old Testament. The Israelites were set aside. Now, mind you, it was only males. They were set aside. And this was the marking that say, hey, you are a part of God's holy people. You are set aside. This was something that was required of them to be a Jew to say, you're set apart. You're God's people. They understood that. And Paul's saying, hey, you have had a circumcision, but it's not that kind that you're thinking of. And all the Gentiles in the church are going, woo! whoo, thank you. He so said, don't bring that in. That was the old covenant. Jesus brought in a new covenant, and it doesn't require that physical act anymore, but it is a type of circumcision. The Old Testament actually talks about a circumcision that's not of that nature. Two types. One is of the heart. And if you remember last week, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, DeMario, um, help me out, the linebacker for the saints who did the last one. Um, shout his last name out. Uh, what? What? Yeah, okay, I can't remember either, but I, I, somebody may have said What? No, it wasn't Watson, it was Ben Watson. But anyway, DeMario, who's a guy for the saints, he specifically said, when I was becoming a Christian, my um, his uh, chaplain said, look, I want you to read this verse about a new heart. Okay, I want you to read about, uh, you, need to, you need to read this verse about... Uh, God giving you a new heart, taking away your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. And it finally dawned on him, he goes, that's what I want. I needed a new heart. And you remember, he, he, he felt like he had this new heart. He said the prayer. He was sincere. He goes, I never prayed sincere like this to God. And I said, but the next day, you know what? I still kind of was doing some of the same old things I used to do. And he went back to the chaplain and goes, what in the world? I thought you said God was going to give me a new heart. And he says, it, it doesn't work like that. God's going to give you. He has given you a new heart, but it's going to take a while. And he talked about first it was the alcohol he took away from me. And then it was a while. It was, you know, a while. Then he took away the marijuana from me. Then he said he took away the impure um, relationship I was in. God slowly did that. It was a process. And he said, I finally understood. But I want to read y'all that passage um, that DeMario um, was uh, saying. It's from Ezekiel 36. And this is what it says, verse 25. And... uh God, Ezekiel's amazing book, y'all, if you've never read it, God uses all kinds of examples to show his love. And there's a lot of judgment in there, but it always, always, always has the alternative hope of forgiveness and love and restoration with God. But listen to what he says. He says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you um, to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is exactly what you're talking about. Now, what's interesting, too, this is how God works. So Wednesday nights here, we've been having this series that James White, um, one of our ministers, has been leading, and it's called The Case for Christ. And it's the story of Lee Strobel, who was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and he talks about his personal testimony of coming to Christ. And first, his wife, Leslie, came to Christ. She became a Christian, and it wrecked his world. Because he goes, well, what are you doing? We're atheists. We don't believe in that stuff. That's not. That's not true. There's no. You know. There's no valid um, points to all that. Why are you doing this? And, you know. And she's she's upset. You know. She wants him to know the freedom that she has in Christ. So he actually sets off in his spare time as a journalist to prove that Christianity's wrong. And he goes all over the country. He goes and calls some of the top people on the different uh, areas of, you know, uh, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is that possible? From a doctor, from a psychologist, from a scientist, from all these different people. And everybody kind of says, hey, this, you know, the, the information that, that we have is, is accurate, as accurate as anything we have in the world. And it's kind of setting him back. But the whole time his wife is praying this very prayer that DeMario had taken into his life and was praying, God, give me a new heart. She was praying that for her husband. She said, God, take this heart of stone that Lee has, that he's just so against you and your love and your grace and Christianity. Take that heart away from him and give him a heart of flesh where he will know you. And ultimately, as we watched the part of the movie this past Wednesday night, I thought that was ironic. DeMario Davis, I thought of. Did somebody say Davis? Whoever said it? There, thank you very much, mama. That was mama. I should have known, all right? But DeMario Davis, when I finally understand God was giving me, he was removing that heart, but it took a while to get that hard heart, didn't it? It took a while, and it also is going to take a while to get that heart of flesh, but God says, I will give it to you, and it happened to Lee Strobel, and I thought about it. how neat was that. He took what happened on Sunday and, and tied it in with what um, we were talking about on Wednesday, and he ties in again with this letter that Paul's Writing to the Colossian church. So, and he will, he will certainly do that. So let's get back into our passage. So he's talking about, hey, I want to do something in you. He says, look, you weren't circumcised by human hands. There's a cutting off of something. I know, I don't even want to think about that. But he cuts off something in your heart that hard heart that keeps you from God, that keeps you from accepting love from other people. You, he cuts that out and gives you a new heart of flesh where you can feel the love that God wants to give you. He says, it was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. And listen to how he keeps talking in the past tense. In him you were circumcised, not performed by human hands, your whole self that was ruled by the flesh. And we understand what the flesh is. The flesh is that part of me, that human nature that says, I'm going to react like a human, just For instance, I shared in the first service, when someone cuts me off in traffic, the way I want to react is, is immediately what? I want to lay on the horn, I want to roll down the window, and get up next to that person and go, you're an idiot! Learn to drive! That's what I want to do in the flesh, right? And some of you are going, what's wrong with that? Do it every day, you know? (laughs) But when I become a Christian, when I become a follower of Christ, he does something to my heart, and my heart says, wait a minute, that person, did they deliberately cut me off? Did they really want to wreck my day? Did they get out of bed going, I'm going to find the guy in the silver truck and I'm going to ruin his day? Probably not. They're probably just not thinking or, you know, late to work or something like that. But when I stop and say, God, allow that heart, that new heart you gave me to make decisions in a different way with the Spirit leading me now, then I can just kind of calm down and go, you know what? I'm going to pull out in front of somebody someday too. And I'm going to need that same grace. So let it go, man. Let it go. So that's what he's talking about. God wants to do something in your heart and get get that old flesh away. So now I don't just react in a human way. I react in a way that the Spirit leads me to to act. And he says, so you were circumcised by Christ. This has happened in Christ. Again, he makes sure we understand it's Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So I want to point out a little bit about baptism right now. Most of us probably know what baptism is. And no lie, y'all, this is what happened in the first service. As soon as I read baptism in that passage, this baptism will turn it on. I'm not lying. That happened in the first service. There's a sensor on it, and sometimes when it gets low, it'll automatically. But it, it did come on, didn't it? You guys can attest to it. It was, it, was, it was perfect timing, all right? So I tried to set it up so it would happen again, but I was like, ah, I mean, I did do that. All right, but he's talking about, hey, in the old covenant, God set apart the Israelites with this circumcision thing. But he says, but now we have a new covenant, and you are set apart by something called baptism. Now think about these two covenants. In the old covenant, who got circumcised? Only men. Only men. Only Israelites. It was exclusive to just Israelites and men. And he said, well, how they do not circumcise women? There are women today in tribes in Africa who still go through Circumcision for women. Not lying, I'm just saying it's, it's there, but that's not, it's, it's another kind of religious type of, you know, cultural thing that's very, very, uh, you know, kind of scary. But when you think about those two covenants, now he says, we're not going to do that anymore. It's not going to be just men. It's not going to be just one nation or one people. It's going to be anybody can be baptized. He says, we are all one in Christ. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. All are what? One in Christ. And anywhere you go in the world, there is water and you can be baptized. I've seen people get baptized in the ocean in Haiti. I had the opportunity to do that. I saw a lady in a tea plantation in India get baptized in a river. Anywhere there is water, you can be brought to Christ. And again, it doesn't matter what culture you're in, what your gender is, what your uh, economic status is, you can be baptized. So Paul's saying, hey, forget about the circumcision thing. I know all about it. I was circumcised on the eighth day just like a good Jew was, but that does not save me from my sins. And he's also making it clear to us, baptism does not save you from your sins. It symbolizes what does save you from your sins. Jesus died on the cross, and then after he died on the cross, they put him in the grave for three days, and he rose again. So when I was baptized, if you were baptized, this is what happened. You were taken down into the water, and you're burying. I buried the old Craig, the sinful Craig that likes to live in the flesh, and I buried him. He's no longer Craig anymore, and a new Craig came up out of that water, a Craig that is now the same unique Craig that God made me, unique with my giftedness and talents and personalities that God gave me. But now I live not by Craig's nature, fleshly nature, but by the Spirit of Jesus that lives in me. That's how he wants us to live, and that's why baptism is so symbolic. Water's not magic, it's just general old H2O back there right out of the tap. But when we go through that process, he goes, you want a process? You want a ceremony to go through? Baptism is what the new covenant shows us is so important. And I can remember when I was 10 years old doing that and how special it was to me. And thinking about that whole process is is, is doing like this and having Jim Dyer, who our our preacher at the time, take those big hands and put them on me and take me down under that water and realizing that I'm burying. Now, I didn't understand everything, y'all, at 10 years old but I knew I had sins, and I wanted them forgiven, and I knew I didn't want to go to hell, you know, and I wanted Jesus to be in my heart and live differently, and it didn't happen immediately, but something did happen immediately, and God's been working on me ever since, and listen to what Paul says, he says, so having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, he's saying, he's reminding us, is it not something you do as a work, Jesus did the work, you are just going through the ceremony, you're going through the this action to show that you believe that and you come up out of that water. And he says, the working of God. And listen, all this has been past tense. You were baptized, but then he says, present tense, working. God is working on you. That means right now in the present, God is working on your heart. He's working on my heart and everybody. And I would even go a step further and say, God has been working on us, hasn't he, in the past. God is working on us presently. And God will continue to work on your heart and my heart as we go through the future. That's how it is. It is a process. All of us are in different processes. All of us are in different seasons of our life. And God knows that. He knows it better than you know it yourself. And he is working on you and trying to get you to understand who you are in him. And in verse 12, he says, when you were dead. And again, he's doing past tense. You were dead. That's who you used to be. Why do you want to go back to that old covenant and start obeying things that don't apply to you? Somebody was uh, talking to me about something the other day about the Old Testament. Uh, This is one I get asked all the time about tattoos and earrings. Y'all ever get asked that question? Should we have tattoos and earrings? You know? And don't get all bent out of shape if you have a tattoo or earring. Okay, that's not something I do, but that's an opinion. But in the Old Testament, I can tell you exactly in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19, what it says about tattoos and earrings. But guess what? That has nothing to do with us now. We are under a new covenant. That was for a certain group of people at a certain time. That's what it was for. Because if you want to follow all of those, then you need to stone your kids the next time they disobey you. And ladies, don't want to be gross or anything, but when you have your time of the month, you have to go outside of the city for seven days before you can come back in the city. Do we want to go back to the old covenant? You go, that's crazy, Craig. Why would we do that? But some of us try to go back to the old covenant, don't we? Some churches try to stack things on top of people and put this heavy burden. And some people don't come to church, y'all, and don't want to come to Christ because of the way we treat them and act like they have to come up with all this other stuff. We need to be like the father and the prodigal son and welcome people right where they are and take them through that process to where God wants them to be. So he says, when you were dead, you were dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And again, he's saying, it's not something you've done. It's not something I've done just because I'm writing letters from prison and going all over the world telling people the good news. God did this in Christ. He made you alive. You are alive now, truly alive, through the resurrection of Christ. And listen to this, and I want you to hear this. Please listen to this. Still in verse 13. He forgave us all our sins. Which sins? Say it louder. All. All our sins. You have sins. I have sins. We all have sins. And we think there's some sins. Some of you probably sitting here today think, yeah, but you don't know about this sin. You don't understand what I have in my past. No, I don't. And I hope I don't have to know about that. You don't know what I have in my past. And I hope you don't ever find out about that. But the truth is, is that God knows. And no matter how much we try to hide it from our friends or our spouse or our people at work or our church people or whatever it is, God has said clearly here, He forgave all our sins. Forgave is what? Past. It's already been done. If you don't take that forgiveness, that's on you, not on God. He has wedged the door to eternal life open with Jesus' resurrected body. And you have that and you need to take that. He says he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Do you ever feel stood against and condemned? That's what Satan wants us to do. Even after we have been forgiven, past tense, he wants us to still feel guilty about stuff we did before. And he brings it up every now and then. Yeah, I saw you at church today. He'll try to do it this afternoon. Yeah, I saw you went to church today. I saw you holding your hands up and singing those songs. Good for you, but I know what you did. God doesn't forgive stuff like that. He's not going to let you off the hook. You don't really believe that. He speaks to us like that, doesn't he? Thinks that's not, you know, you got to do some good things before he's going to forgive you. you got a lot of stuff. You are indebted, and that's a lie. That's a lie from that. He says, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's the truth of the gospel right there, y'all. He took it away from us, so we need to allow it to be taken away from us. And he talks about this legal indebtedness. We know what that is. You, have any, you get any letters in the mail that remind you of your legal indebtedness? I get them all the time, or in the email, if your computer's working, <laughs> But we're reminded that there's something written. But even in this time when they didn't have computers, they had written things. If you were brought up on a criminal charge, they wrote this charge out. So that the lawyer in the, in the Roman law, they, re- they read, Jesus, you've heard the, what's been said about you and it was actually written about you, Jesus. It stands against you. They understood that. They understand legal indebtedness. Even, though, even in those days, if you had a monetary debt, it was written somewhere and said, Hey, you owe this much. And he says, that's been wiped away. You've been forgiven. Cancel the charge. So I go back to those students who had uh, 105, dollars and $130,000 wiped away. Why in the world would they start sending checks back to the school after that had already been forgiven? The school would go, what is this? We're looking in the records, and it says paid in full back in 2009. Why are you sending checks in? Do you not believe that? Do you not, be- Do you not really trust that you are forgiven of that debt? That would be crazy. But y'all, some of us live like that. And we're missing out on what God wants in our lives. He says he has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. I don't know if any of y'all have have had this experience. And I have as a young man uh, growing up at church camp and going to retreats and things like that. And it meant so much to me that I also did it when um, I was a youth minister. I did it. Is You have a cross that you have somewhere at a camp and you put it out in front of everybody and people, they say, hey, write down a sin that you think that you have not been forgiven for. And you know what? Every time I've done that, I've noticed nobody has a problem writing. I don't see anybody going there, hmm, let me think. I can't remember the last time I sinned. Everybody grabs that piece of paper and you see them right and writing, and writing, and writing, writing, and they fold that piece of paper up and then they ask them to come forward one at a time. And they take it. There's nails and there's a hammer there at the cross and they pick up those nails and they take that sheet of paper and they hammer it to the, um, to the cross. And it's, there's something cleansing about that. It reminds us. And then at the end, a lot of times they'll take them and they'll throw them in the campfire that night and we see our sins. They're no more. And it's a visual, concrete idea or actually uh, action that we see that, wow, my sins are no longer against me. They're no longer keep me from God. And we need to know that truth. And that's such an important truth to know. And that's why Paul's reminding these people, don't go back to the old covenant. Don't go back to those days where you listen to people saying you're not good enough, that you can't possibly be um, uh, you know, worthy to be forgiven of your sins. God loves you. And then in verse 15, he says this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, Rome was the most powerful governing authority in the world at that time. One of the greatest um, governmental authorities in history of the world. When we think about great powers, we think about the Roman Empire. But those are part of the people that physically put Jesus on the cross. But also, uh, one of the most powerful authoritative religious um, groups has been the Jews. And the Jews also at that time had a lot of authority. Not over Rome, but they had a lot of authority. So together, those two authorities and powers put Jesus on the cross, looking like they took his power away. But Paul's saying, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. We're getting rid of Jesus. We're going to put him on that cross and he will no longer heal anybody. He will no longer tell people that they're worthy. He will no longer tell them about a new covenant because we are embraced in this old covenant. We like that. We like the old covenant where we kind of follow all these rules and we never do, but we all pretend we do. We think we can be good enough to get there and we're going to keep doing that. We like that old covenant, so we're going to put him on the cross. But three days later, Jesus wasn't on the cross, was he? He wasn't in that tomb they put him in. He was alive again, and he triumphed over them. It made the world look like they were triumphing. And 2,000 years plus later, we're sitting here, and we've still got a cross in our church. We've got a cross. People all over the world today are remembering Jesus and what he did. I just got a picture from my son who's in the Army right now, and he's in Poland. He sent me a picture this week. Um, They're like six hours ahead of us, but he's got a picture of his chaplain, handing somebody communion, and it was just really cool to see that in a different part of the world, they are taking communion, remembering Jesus Christ somewhere else in the world in a different culture, in a land he doesn't understand and know, but he's still able to take communion right there, and that's very encouraging to me and recognize what a huge world we have and what an awesome God we have. So I'm going to stop right there, but I hope you hear the message of the gospel. You have been forgiven all your sins. Embrace that. Believe that. Live like it. Let people see in your life that you believe that. They need to see that. They need to know that it's true. So this morning, we're going to offer an invitation, and we're going to go into a time of communion. But as we're going into communion, if someone here today, if you've heard that message of the gospel, that all your sins are forgiven, and that does something in your heart, maybe it circumcises your heart. It's like, man, I need, I need to get rid of this, this, this heart of stone, and I want to accept that. And I want to bury the old person and, and come alive to a new person. We offer that invitation. If you're looking for a church, we are not a perfect church, but we point to Jesus. In Him, we try to do everything that we do in Him. And if you want to join a church like that, we, we offer that invitation as well. But if you're already a believer, if you already call yourself a Christian, remind yourself as we get ready to prepare for communion. And communion's a great way of doing that. Communion is a great way of of reminding us of what Jesus did for us and how much he loved us, how much he valued us. So we're going to do that. Kevin's going to lead us in a song, so we're going to stand right now. And if you have a decision, you can come forward, and I'll try to walk you through that at this time.